Fashion by Dad. And we're going to get stuck into some different genres this week. Dark pop, female hip-hop. We'll be interwoven into our ongoing infatuation with neo-folk and the symphonic metal. We'll get into Time for a Story Time Story this week. Roald Dahl's The Landlady. And that will lead or bleed into it ain't necessarily so this week. That is the backstory of last week's the Chook in the Outback. This week's instalment regales you, dear listener, with the tale of the charcoalized chicken in Walhalla. Walhalla being a very steep valley in eastern Victoria that once contained a mighty gold mine. But I leap ahead. At some point or other, we will also get to the drug of the week in the warp on drugs which this week is coffee coffee's keeping me awake and i bet you if you're getting up for work you're making yours now now i want to launch into this episode's version of blazer of glory the blazer of glory this episode is the 1980s computer nerd, specifically those in Silicon Valley who built the computer industry, the internet, the mobile phone and everything we now consider essential or annoying or world damaging. I'm reading from Robert X. Cringely's book, Accidental Empires, one of those books I've owned about a dozen copies of and given them all away. Well, given 11 of them away. I'm holding one in my hand. Here's your father's image of the computer nerd. Male, a sloppy dresser, often overweight, hairy, and with poor interpersonal communication skills. Once again, Dad's wrong. One day in the mid-1980s, Times, New Week and the Wall Street Journal simultaneously discovered the computer culture, which they branded instantly and forever as a homogenised group they called nerds, who were supposed to be uniformly dressed in T-shirts and reeking of Snickers bars and Jolt Cola. Or just reeking. Nat Goldhaber, who founded a software company called Tops, used to man his company's booth at computer trade shows. Whenever a particularly foul-smelling man would come in the booth, Goldhaber would say, You're a programmer, aren't you? Why, yes, he'd reply, beaming at being recognised as a stinking god among men. Do it, baby, dream now. Jump onto the website fortrippz.org.au and subscribe. Help us build the dream. Keep us on the air so that you can keep on dreaming. And with your dash and dada, we're picking apart the dress sense of the nerds that built the devices we dedicate so much of our time and attention to. Yes, we're reading from Accidental Empires, how the boys of Silicon Valley make their millions, battle foreign competition and still can't get a date. 
just heard that uh, real programmers don't wash. The stinking God among men. Uh, two programmer subspecies that are worthy of note are the hippies and nerds. Nearly all great programmers are one type or the other. Hippie programmers have long hair and deliberately, even pridefully, ignore the seasons in their choice of clothing. They wear shorts and sandals in the winter and T-shirts all the time. Nerds, a little anal retentive man with penchant for short-sleeved shirts and pocket protectors. Nerds carry calculators. Hippies borrow calculators. Nerds use decongestant nasal sprays. Hippies snort cocaine. Nerds typically know 46 different ways to make love, but don't know any women. Hippies know women. Bill Gates is still a nerd. During Microsoft's 1983 national sales meeting, which was held that year in Arizona, a group of company leaders, including Gates and his business manager, Mr Shirley, went for a walk in the desert to watch the sunset. Gates had been drinking and insisted on climbing up into the crook of a giant saguaro or cactus. Shirley looked up at his new boss, who was squatting in the arms of the cactus, greasy hair plastered across his forehead, sweaty underarm stains running down his shirt, squinting at the setting sun. Someone get him down from there while he can still father children, Shirley ordered. blazer of glory here on Fashion by Dad. Oh, it is. Miserably. Princess looked down at her tangled fur. Just look at me. All burrs and sand and dirt and snarls. What I wouldn't give for a good brushing. We longhairs need help, you know. We can't accomplish a whole lot just by licking. I'll help, Minerva offered kindly. Come on over here and I'll do the top of your head where you can't get it. And if you don't mind a bit of yanking, maybe we can get rid of the worst of those burrs too. Her mouth was curled into a welcoming smile. Come on, there's plenty of room. You can cuddle up with the rest of us and help me keep the kittens warm when the snow comes. Or she blows the fat bird. Why, it's 40 meters long, rivaling my nemesis, Moby Dick. A fatberg is a congealed mass which forms in our sewer system. Or your private plumbing. From flushing wet wipes that combine with cooking fat. They snag other debris and block pipes and can grow as large as a bus. And they smell disgusting. So prevent sewage overflows. Don't flush wet wipes. And wait for your cooking fat to cool. Then scrape it into the bin. Remember the three P's. Only flush pee, paper and poo. Four Triple Z cares about our community. And on Four Triple Z, you are listening to Fashion by Dad. I'm going to quote to you now from tip number 53 in the kitchen section of the book, Your Life, Your Planet, a book written by your host here on Fashion by Dad. That's me, Jeff Ebbs. Now, tip number 53 is called Feeding Friends. And in a lot of those tips, there's a little section called A Personal Story. 
little bit the section here on Fashion by Dad that we call Ain't Necessarily So. One of us remembers the search for an after party. We ended up in the Hills District and noticed there were no snacks, so I got stuck into the aid to burn a stove and made 24 plates of poached eggs on toast. Just as the revellers lined up for their plate, four big security guys arrived and rapidly escorted me from the party. I never got to eat the eggs. Now, as with most things in your life, your planet, it's a fairly succinct account of the story. The um, rest of the tip goes on to talk about the importance of community, how hearth and table as the centre of family, the centre of community, keep us all fed, comfy and, you know, chatting to each other. But I think you, dear listener, a little more interested in the backstory, the story about the revelling If there was an after-party, what was the party before the after-party? Well, the party before the after-party was the Richmond Football Club's African Night, so-called, because the West Indies were the donned cricket team. They'd finally beaten Australia after being humiliated in the mid-80s by Australian fast bowlers. And the West Indian team had gone home and really put itself together, put the power of... Rasta into the cricket world and just loved thrashing Australia. And it wasn't just the cricket fans that loved the West Indian cricketers. Aussie women just thought they were the ants' pants, really. I mean, they were Rasta gods. And the Richmond Football Club went off. I mean, there was reggae, there was all sorts of dance music that we had never heard of in a post-punk Melbourne, or pre-punk, post-punk, pre-punk Melbourne, and um, very pre, I know, post-punk Melbourne, 83, Uh, Fraser was about to be replaced by Bob Hawke, and there we were in the Richmond Football Club, stomping, clapping, dancing, all the... uh, beta males like me sort of get in a circle and clap and thump and beat out rhythms while the Rasta gods and the Aussie Amazons did everything you can do on the dance floor short of tearing off your clothes and getting off the dance floor the um, place was soaked in reggae beats and pheromones so that was the scene, that was the heady days of the party before the after party, which is causing me here on Fashion by Dad, your dash and dadda, to reminisce about a night at the Richmond Football Club. We're all sweating and heaving after a night of stomping and clapping, and six of us ended up in a big, big car looking for a party. It was an election night, the night that Hawke beat Fraser. And even though I was the one who had the address of the party, I did not realise at the time that it was the home of the Liberal candidate for the newly formed seat of Jagera. I now find out his name was Frederick Garrett, though I didn't know that at the time. And uh, I also didn't realise that he'd just found out that he'd been defeated. The Conservative government that he was running for had been defeated. 
So the house, generally, the party house, was in no mood for a celebration. And the last thing they expected was uh, six horny party goers looking for a dance party. Two of them huge, shiny black fellas from the West Indies. Still, we managed to insert ourselves into the party, slide into the kitchen where there was an eight-burner stove, a full set of kitchen. I mean, the cutlery drawer needed two hands to open it. It was perfect for laying out 24 plates, knives, forks, making 24 pieces of toast and 24 poached eggs, which I promptly did in a production line. I had one of my... Buddies on the toaster, one on butter, one plating the eggs and two lining up to carry them out to the assembled throng. Well, I was busy there rattling pots, pans, bossing around my team of horny party goers and then I sensed an awkward silence. Maybe the music had stopped, maybe the chatter had stopped and the music had kept going, but somehow I had a sense that all was not well. So I turned around and got my second cue that something was wrong. A rather large bouncer grabbed my wrist, took the egg flip out of my hand and put his other hand behind my back and under my arm, firmly around my upper left bicep and marched me from the party. I noticed on the way out that two similar sized bouncers had grabbed the larger of my companions and we were frog marched through the party and out of the house. I guess the learning, as we say in 2021, is if you're going to feed your friends, get an invite first. It may seem a little prim and proper, dear listener, but that's the way the world is these days. That's the way the world is. Kolinga, leaping all over Africa here on Fashion by Dad. That was from the Congo, smack bang in the middle of the continent. Well, it's time for a story time story here on Fashion by Dad. And this week's story comes from Roald Dahl, Norwegian writer best known for his children's books, many of which have become major motion pictures. Think Matilda, think Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, think Witches. Uh, this week provide we, me, the royal we, provide an insight into the landlady. This includes a couple of readings from the yarn itself. I'm holding a copy of Roald Dahl's A Taste of the Unexpected. A pocket penguin. To celebrate 70 years of Penguin, Penguin put out 70 pocket titles, which they sold for UK £1.50p. Don't know what that translated to in Australia. We probably paid about 10 or 12 bucks for it, I would imagine. So the landlady is one of the tales in that, one of the three tales in that, and it features on Fashion by Dad in this episode for a number of reasons. Your host, your dash and dadder, that's me, folks, starred in a 1980s student film based on it, with the added bonus that the opening credits are carved into the skin of my back. 
you can see that posted on the Fashion by Dad socials. And for the sake of your peace of mind, dear listener, I should point out that uh, I enjoy a rare form of urticaria. Urticaria is the name for nettle rash, but my version of urticaria is known as dermatographia. Yeah, drawing on the skin. That means that if you scratch me, an internal chemical reaction in my skin emulates being rubbed by nettles and raises welts. So that allows you to draw reasonably intricate diagrams anywhere on my naked body, should you decide to do so, or to leave a decent handprint on my cheek if you happen to be particularly cross. Yes, Eleonora, if you are listening, I have not forgotten. song from Omnivar Red the album Dark Pop Dark Pop also the name of the genre and the record label in fact I don't think it's the name of the album at all oh yeah no it is Dark Pop They signed up with a uh, German label called Dark Pop. For that, they were considered electro-industrial. They've been playing Europe, including with Aussie band Shiver, across Europe in 2019 and 2020, but um, locked down, started working on their new album, From Which Red, I want to see you dressed in red, hails. But here... On Tuesday the 10th of August, it's time for a story time story. We're going to hear from Roald Dahl, famous as a writer because he combines the dark and cruel nature of humanity, a bit like Omnima, with a moral simplicity and an innocence that engages young and old alike. The characters betray each other cruelly for no good reason other than that they are human and revenge is gleefully indulged in by the victims. Retribution becomes redemption. Good, clean, old-fashioned violence of the sort that once populated fairy tales. You know, the sort. The Queen, being jealous, locked the Princess in the tower and fed her only on onions. So, Roald Dahl's The Landlady is set in a rundown boarding house. And in the film version, our hero, your host, <laughs> being a cheapskate who wants to save his money for fast food and other instant gratification, responds to a to-let sign. Knocking on the door. He's invited in. We have it all to ourselves, she said, smiling at him over the shoulder as she led the way upstairs. You see, it isn't very often I have the pleasure of taking a visitor into my little nest. 
I should have thought you'd be simply swamped with applicants, he said politely. Oh, my dear, I am, I am, of course I am. But the trouble is, I'm inclined to just be a teeny-weeny bit choosy in particular, if you see what I mean. And it's such a pleasure, my dear, such a very great pleasure, when now and again I open the door and see someone standing there who is just exactly right. She was halfway up the stairs and she paused, one hand on the rail, turning her head and smiling at him with pale lips. Like you, she added. And her blue eyes travelled all the way up and down Billy's body to his feet and up again. So interrupting Mr. Dahl's writing to summarise the story for you, dear listener, our innocent guest in full Brad and Janet style, completely ignores the warning signs, all of the uh, unwarranted intimacy, rape bad, rape bad, rape bad, get out! And after the usual introductions, negotiations over the rent and a long series of further warning signs, proceeds to take tea with the landlady in the parlour. Ominously stuffed with taxidermied animals, including a chicken looking suspiciously like the ones encountered in the film on his way in the door. So now I'm going to allow the film version of The Landlady to take over our story time story. I'm positive I've heard those names before. They were famous, weren't they? Oh, I don't think they were famous, no. They were extremely handsome. Young, handsome. Just like you. This entry's more than two years old. Is it? Yeah. And the one before that's longer than three years ago. Dear me, how time does fly away from us all, doesn't it, Mr. Perkins? It's Smith. Oh, how silly of me. I do apologise. It's funny, you know. I remember those two names together, like Barassi and Tudnam or Fraser and Whitman. Wasn't Bird the name of that guy who was hiking when all of a sudden... Another Lamington, dear. I remember. Bird was a uni student and he went out and then all of a sudden... Oh no. My Mr. Bird was a plumber's apprentice. Have you drunk all your Milo, dear? Mr. Bird was a great one for his Milo. Four spoons of sugar. How long ago did he leave? Me? My dear boy, he never left. Both he and Mr. Evans are still here. And how old are you, my dear? Seventeen. Seventeen. Mr. Evans was seventeen, but a bit shorter, and his teeth weren't quite as white. Mr. Bird, on the other hand, was twenty-eight, although I never would have guessed it unless he'd told me. There wasn't a blemish on his whole body. Oh, what? (laughs) I mean, he had skin just like babies. The bird. I thought it was alive. Alas, no longer. 
It doesn't look dead. Who did it? I did. Really? Yes. Of course. Have you met Basil? That's amazing. It must be hard. Not really. I stuff all my pets after they've passed on. No, my dear. No. You, uh, you did sign the book, didn't you, dear? Because then, if I forget your name later on, I can always come and look it up. I do that almost every day with Mr. Evans and Mr. Um, Bird. Isn't there anyone else here? Oh dear, there's only you. You'll find it very quiet here. Hey, it's Simon, aka your pal Hot Magnets, and you're listening to Four Triple Z. from Annie Lennox with her version of I Put a Spell on You. So we put a spell on you, dear listeners, so that you can keep dreaming. And while I have control of your mind, I would like you to go to 4ZZZ.org.au and subscribe. It ain't necessarily so Oh, it ain't necessarily so The things The sounds of Cher beating out Gershwin's Ode to the Bible over the strains of Larry Adler's mouth organ. So that was recorded to celebrate young Larry's 80th birthday. But we use that short snip of that long track to usher in another instalment of Ain't Necessarily So, the segment formerly known as When I Was a Boy. Now, we're running out of time here on Fashion by Dad. So, if you have had a look at the film of the landlady on the Fashion by Dad instas, Facebooks or web pages, you will know that there were two chickens when I arrived at the places, and one of them was taxidermied in the parlour. So those chickens were picked up by the director, popped in the film, and um, I later found out that she got them because they were cute. I mean, I think she had the idea to taxidermy them. I don't know when she had it. Anyway, she told me that much later, after all of the events which I'm about to tell you, dear listener, transpired. So, just before the chickens were swept up and chucked live into the bin, one of the crew members said, hey, does anyone want to take these chickens home? And uh, I put up my Dobie innocent hand and took one, and so ended up with it in the car 
on a camping trip to Walhalla. Now, chicken was only a couple of days old, so it needed to be kept warm, so I had a box of straw, a wooden box of straw with, um, you know, various bits and pieces, some chicken, not pellets, uh, sort of paste kind of stuff mixed up with water. Anyway, the camping trip unfolded as many such camping trips do. Uh, My girlfriend's six-year-old nephew was with us. He was annoying, but he loved the chicken almost to death, squeezing it and patting it in front of all of the other families in the campground. While Haller is a steep valley, it receives very little sunlight, so it was sharply cold. We warmed ourselves around the campfire and I revived one of my childhood memories by heating rocks in the fire to wrap in blankets and warm our feet that night. In the absence of woolen blankets, I used a towel for the rock intended to keep the chicken warm. So all went well and peace descended on the valley as we slept the sleep of those far from the sound and light pollution of the major cities. Nestled into one of Victoria's more isolated spots. Here on 4ZZZ, we are in Fashion by Dad, the closing moments. And I'm running out of time to tell you the story of the charcoalised chicken in Walhalla. We have gone to sleep in the steep-sided valley that is Walhalla uh, with a hot rock wrapped up in a towel to keep a day-old chicken warm. I woke in the morning with the sound of someone tugging at the tent rope, calling urgently, Come quickly, come quickly. I think your car's on fire. I opened one eye. It was barely light. I responded, Go away. No, really, there is smoke creeping out of the door of your car. I opened both eyes. I opened the tent. I stuck my head out through the tent flaps. There was a thin plume of smoke rising into the crisp morning air from the door of my car. So I went to the car, tried to open the door. The door was a bit stuck. I tugged it open. Air rushed in. Smoke billowed out. A puff of smoke. A single cloud, a bit like a smoke signal, followed by a ball of flame. Woof! Whoosh! Air, highbrows, eyelashes, all gone in the ball of flame. I shut the door. I rubbed my singed eyebrows and fringe. This was not good. Now, because we're running out of time, we're going to have to seriously abbreviate the story. Let's just say that the rock had been a little hot. It had set fire to the cotton towel. I'd forgotten that we used to wrap our bricks as children that had been warmed in the slow combustion stove in woolen blankets, not in cotton towels. The car had smouldered all night coated all the windows in a horrid black tar, coated all our clothes in a horrid black tar, charcoalised the chicken and coated it in a horrid black tar. So it was perfectly preserved in a charcoal tar-coated form, so young Jesse had an even better time running around showing it to our neighbouring campers than he had previously had with the living chicken. And not only were all of the young girls lining up to pat the soft chicken of the day before, they were even more fascinated by its glistening, tar-coated charcoal reincarnation. 
And their dads, too, were quite fascinated. They were wondering, oh, mate, that was a good chicken. Oh, I've never seen anything like it. Give us a look at your car. So, of course, all of the cold services, like the windows, were coated in tar. So were the ignition points. I couldn't start the car with the key. I had to take the steering wheel apart, and we spent the entire afternoon, which was the grand final between Collingwood and Carlton. 1983 was the year. The uh, same year that the dad's party described earlier in fashion by dad took place. You can find full versions of both the dad's party story and the interruption of the election party afterwards and the charcoalised chicken of Walhalla in, oh, at fashionbydad.com. But... To polish off the story, the grand final was taking place between Collingwood and Carlton. My girlfriend and I were washing every piece of clothing we had in that was stored in the boot of the car that was coated in black horrible tar all afternoon. We just about ran out of money. We found out we only just had enough money to pay for fuel on the way home so there was nothing to eat or drink on the highway on the way home the next day a a serious strain on a relationship let us say it's pretty well all we have time for on fashion by dad tonight i hope you've enjoyed some of the yarns we'll have to put off our Warp on drugs, which was going to go into the delights of coffee, including a story about Balzac, the uh, French novelist you will not believe. But I will save that up for the next episode of Fashion by Dad and see you in a week.